The VC Show. You already know about the Low Post Podcast with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorse. But have you listened to the VC Show with eight-time NBA All-Star Vince Carter and co-host Roz Goldenwooday, who talk all things basketball with some of the biggest names in sports entertainment? They will give their unfiltered thoughts on the NBA, and Vince will share stories from his illustrious 22-year career. That's the VC Show. Listen while you're listening to this podcast. Let's talk about those Boston Celtics real quick. Uh, what's got them looking so good the, i think that the odds not i think the odds for uh, most major betting sports books have them as the new favorite uh to win it all so what have you seen so far uh from them against the hawks i've seen depth i've seen their stars be better than the other team stars um and their coach ain't messing around Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show, currently recording in New Orleans. Um, across from me, as always, is Izzy Gutierrez. A lot of, play of playoff basketball taking place right now. We're watching a lot of it, but it's only right that we discuss the Draymond incident on this podcast, mm-hmm. for sure. Injuries in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And basically who we think is going to win every series um, the rest of the way as we record this on a Wednesday before the Wednesday right. night games are played, this comes out on a Thursday morning. Which let's just address the elephant in the room. You are not in the playoffs. And <laughs> you're not in the playoffs because of a sudden like I like I like the play in now because of this. Like I like the, yeah. you know, those last few games meaning something. But can you A, talk to me about this whole the way you feel like going from you mm. might be in the playoffs one day to boom, you're out of the playoffs the very next day. And then just what kind of season was this for you? Because, you know, I read some of your your diary on Anscape with uh, Mark Spears. And it sounds like, you know, you were holding back on some injuries uh, throughout the season. Yeah, I think injuries aside, this was a very difficult season for us as a whole because of the roller coaster ride that we went through. Right. You talk about the emotions of being, you know, touted as a team who should make the playoffs, right? Like a team who should have a, a good season, should make a jump based on the progress we made last season um, post-trade where we make the make the play-in, win against the Spurs at home, win against the Clippers, and then take the Suns to six games. We probably should have won seven games, um, in my opinion. Coming to this year fully loaded, healthy, young guys with more experience, and you feel like you're going to take that next jump. And we start off really well, right? We start off beating the breaks off Brooklyn, and Brooklyn, a team who was, you know, in contention for a title run, I would say, to start this yeah. season. They had title hopes. We beat the brakes off them. Um, we get a win at Charlotte. We have a great road trip. And at one point, we're, you know, 11, 10, 11 games over 500, first in the West. Um, I'll never forget it. Like, it was yesterday. We did a photo shoot for Slam Magazine, the cover of Slam, B.I., myself, and Zion. And Z ends up getting hurt two days before the photo shoot. And the day of the photo shoot, I mean, let's let's say we were went from first in the West to second in the West. Maybe we lost a couple games in a row. Ended up losing that game to the Sixers on the road trip on January 1st. End of January, mid to late January, we're still like third in the West. Um, things are still going well. Obviously, B.I. had missed, you know, 20 games at, the, at that point. Z had missed uh, the month of January. And we were still in, you know, third in the West with – hopes of being a home seed in the playoffs. You fast forward, B.I. ends up missing 37 games this season. Z doesn't play another game the rest of the season. And it shifts from there, from first in the West or third in the West to a 10-game losing streak um, to a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not we're going to make the playoffs. And then you throw in some injuries to you know some of our key guys uh, from not only myself, but Larry, obviously. Herb misses some games. Um, Jose ends up missing, I think, the last 20 games of the season. Uh, Dyson misses 15 games while he was in the rotation. And it shifts the dynamic of our team so much to, to so that we end up having to play in a a meaningful game 82, which is never the goal for a playoff team, right? You want the last few games to not really matter, and you have already established who you are as a team. And I think for us, it was a roller coaster ride. And the turmoil that we went through, I think it builds character. It builds a better and a greater appreciation for the game. And for me, having made the playoffs nine straight years, this is the first time where well, the season ends abrupt always, but normally you're in a playoff series and you kind of know which way it's going and you know when you're in an elimination game. And for us, it was playing game because we lost to Minnesota and we're at home. Right. So you just assume that like things are going to go well, you're going to execute, and you're going to win. 
and you lose at home and it just ends abruptly and it's the beginning of April and it's like, what do I do now um, with my time? And I think I shared, um, I'll be getting surgery in my hand next week and uh, for my torn labrum, I'll get an MRI just to check to see if I need surgery for that as well. And and I said this all the time, like I'm not making excuses. The reality is that I played, you know, 37 games this year, you know, with a torn UCL in my, in my right thumb. Um, on my shooting hand. So I played with a split and tape the whole year. So it was an adjustment period. I don't make excuses. I played. So I take credit for, you know, good nights and bad nights because I did all I could considering the circumstances of not being able to really get extra reps for, for long periods of time, because it hurt to catch the ball and it hurt to dribble and it hurt to shoot to tear in my labrum and my shooting arm um, down the stretch of the season. So it's like, it is what it is. I would like to perform better, but I look forward to this offseason. I look forward to next season because there's a lot of areas we can grow individually and there's a lot of areas we can grow as a team. And I think that'll make us better ultimately for what's what's ahead for us as an organization. And if you would have told me we'd win 42 games and ZBI and myself would play 10 games together, I would have said, nah, that's that means that a lot of players stepped up and we we – we held it down uh, considering the circumstances. Most teams wouldn't be able to win 42 games with um, first team all NBA all-star starter out. And then another all-star caliber player. Especially in a West that is, I mean, it it was deep by the end of the regular season, like one through what? Well, right. One through 11. Exactly. was pretty deep. And so it's, and then like, you know, so you talk about Zion missing most of the season, B.I. missing about a third of the season, and then you play through those injuries. And look, I, I I know you guys deal with a lot in terms of reactions from fans and social and stuff like that. But I, you know, was tagged in some stuff that was directed at you that I was just like, good Lord, like, could you really, really have lack of perspective there that you think that CJ is the problem when uh, maybe they'll feel a little when they hear you're playing through a, you know, torn labrum for the last couple of weeks and then that thumb and you still give them 21 points a game, you know, the most threes you've ever hit in your career and, you know, a slight dip in terms of percentage from your time last year with them, but overall in your career, not that big of a dip. And so like you're getting 21, six and four from a player, like shut up with the criticism, especially when you played 75 of those games. Yeah. And it's, it comes with the territory of being a professional athlete. And I think, you know, it's part of the reason why we get paid so much money is because fans are invested, they're engaged, they care, they're passionate. And they support us. They come to the games, they buy the jerseys, they play the video games. So I have a respect level and appreciation for them. And I'm also a fan. Like I play fantasy football. So I am passionate. I understand when your parlay gets messed up, you know, like that you lost money. But also understand that uh, us as athletes, we're doing our best. Like I'm not going out there trying to score 14 points in elimination game. <laughs> like that wasn't the goal. Like going into it, it's like, you know what? Let's miss threes and go one for five. Like, <laughs> no, we're, we're preparing and we're trying our best. And and sometimes you lose. And sometimes um, it's not for lack of preparation. It's just lack of execution. And I think we were all prepared. We did our best. Um, we studied film. Coaches gave us the blueprint and they outplayed us. And I think sometimes you have to be able to, be able to admit failure and we failed in terms of what we wanted to accomplish as a team but overall in terms of what this city this organization has seen historically we're taking strides and steps in the right direction you know having a winning season for the first time since drew holiday and ad were here and having a chance to be a home seed uh obviously we blew it but i think that the focus next year is to get better to retool to figure out ways to to obviously be healthy as an organization be healthy as a team figure out ways to consistently have a championship mindset and approach collectively one through 15. And I think I spoke on it. The difference between teams that are extremely successful and teams that aren't are the little things. Um, The little things separate you, right. In terms of health, you look at the most healthy teams in the NBA this season, the Sacramento Kings, right. Sabonis was hurt and he's played hurt all year, but he didn't miss a lot of games. Monk didn't miss a lot of games. Fox didn't miss a lot of games. Herder, yeah. Uh, Denver's Murray. been pretty healthy. Denver's been pretty Austin's healthy. Been pretty healthy. When when your best players play throughout a season, you give yourself the best chance of being successful. I think the Lakers went through it right when they were hurt yeah. compared to when they weren't. The differences in their roster, the Warriors in years past when when Steph and Clay get hurt, like it changes things. It changes the dynamic. It's not to make excuses. It's the fact of the matter is we have to do better with the little things, and I think we will. I think this was a wake up call of what our ceiling can look like and what our basement looks like when we don't handle business properly, when we aren't doing the things that we're supposed to do collectively 
this this is what it's going to look like. This is going to be the end result. It's hard to be successful as an organization, as a team, when you got guys in and out of lineup, you got guys in and out of practice, you got coaching staff not sure who's going to play each night. It puts a lot of pressure and strain on the organization, on the roster, on other players to have to play, you know, more minutes or a different type of role. And it's hard to really execute uh, when you can't go over that type of stuff because you don't know who's going to be out on the floor. But more of the story is we didn't do what we were supposed to do and our season is over and now we're having to watch everybody else compete. And we feel like we we blew a window opportunity. And that's one of the reasons why I played injured. It's because I understand the value of each season, how fast it goes. And I understand the window opportunity to win in this league. And when I'm done with basketball, I'll be able to look myself in the mirror and say, I did everything I could to take advantage of my window from a preparation standpoint, mentally, physically. I worked on my skill set. I ate how I was supposed to eat. I went to sleep the way I was supposed to go to sleep at night, mm-hmm. home and on the road. I exercise properly. I use my PTs. I get massages. I Normatec, and I maximized it. And I did play hurt because I know that this game doesn't last forever. And that's why Which I did is what it. drives me crazy about that uh, news from a couple weeks ago or last week about the Mavericks and them not playing players, even though they yeah. still had the chance to get into the play. And I'm like, you play all like you've got an entire season worth of work you put in and it's just going to be like oh well we'll think about the potential of a draft pick that to me was wild especially when like if i was a player i would just go on an uproar like i wouldn't allow that i'd be like no i've got we got two of the top you know two all-star starters on our team how can we not make a run like how can you not convince us that we can't make a run here so that just drove me up a wall when it happened passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. But- yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, you got the front office, you got everybody pushing for different things, and I think... For us, it was simple. It was like our fans deserve a chance to see us compete at the highest level, which is in the playoffs. We deserve that home game. We deserve to put our best foot forward because they support us. They care. Like they truly want us to be great. And the way they've embraced and supported me, you know, since I got here via trade, I wanted to try to reward them with that. And we found the mission. Hey, have you all, you haven't always been, but when do you wear a t shirt under the jersey and when don't you? I don't wear a T-shirt under the jersey. The only times I've wore a T-shirt under the jersey is when I fractured my back in the bubble and when I tore my labrum. Okay, so it was just the last couple of weeks of the season. All right. Mm-hmm. That should have been a little giveaway for your opponents, by the way. Uh, <laughs> by the way, you know when I knew the season was just not going to work out perfectly for you? That wall behind you, man. <laughs> Never put up those pictures. It's been <laughs> blank all season long. We've been planning. Been like, all right, we got this. Got to get the interior decorator, one of which you have many of, uh, to come in here and ha- there's that wall is still bare. Feels like a plan, not a everything. shelf was ordered. A shelf was ordered. A couch <laughs> was ordered. But the funny part is, the items behind me are like top five in scoring for the Portland Trailblazers. My first triple double, like the thing I got from my high school when they retired, my jersey, most improved player, community assist award, like those types of things to where it has to go on a shelf. Because it's like mm. almost like a plaque. Right. You can't just put it on a wall. But yeah. telling you, it does not take a full NBA season to put up a couple of shelves. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't at all. And, you know, honestly, it's just lack of execution. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that's how I knew. That's how I knew something was off this year. Um, all right. So the games that are being played. So the NBA suspended Draymond for one game uh, after effectively what they call stomping on Sabonis in that game two in Sacramento. Uh, Joe Dumars says it was because of basically his history that he's got a long history of things like this and he no longer gets the benefit of the doubt, a one-game suspension. I would love to get your take on that because I largely disagree with that decision. I think it's tough. And it's funny because my mentions are like, it's my fault. Like, I had a say in his suspension. Like, I don't have that <laughs> much power. I'm just to face, honestly, I don't have that much power at all. And I'm surprised they suspended him because of the fact that he was ejected. I think that's what was surprising. Um, he was ejected from the game. So I felt like that was a punishment in itself with six or seven minutes left in the ball game that ultimately could have helped decide the fate of their team, the best defender, the, the engine of that team who is their facilitator. Uh, he's the guy that switches on to everybody and brings the energy for them. So that was like demoralizing and crushing to their team for him to not be out there those last seven minutes. Yeah. But the suspender for the next game is like another gut punch. Understanding that they're down, you know, 0-2 at the time of the suspension. It's similar, eerily similar to the the Cavs series where the momentum swings one way or the other, where if the Kings win, they go up 3-0, like, you know, it's basically over, right? Like, it's never mm -hmm. happened before. But if the Warriors win without him, the Kings got to be thinking to themselves, like, damn, we just lost. Yeah. It almost the becomes Warriors. a must win for the Kings, even though they're up 2-0. Exactly. And not to mention that the best – home court advantage in the NBA, right? Like their record record wise, they had the best season at home, mm -hmm. the worst season on the road. So in their mind, they could play it as, well, we only have to win there once. We didn't, we didn't think we we're going to just do it right away since we've been losing on the road all year and we get Draymond back for game four. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way that has to play out for the Warriors to feel good about it. Um, right. To me, if I'm the Warriors, I'm ticked for a number of reasons, like a uh, small picture, just looking at the foul itself, like, Clearly, Sabonis was doing his best acting job, you know, turning over, holding his leg, okay, holding Draymond's leg. And as he is trying to release himself, and if you look at the leg that's on the ground, uh, his left leg, it's not on the ground the whole time, right? Like, it's up in the air, so he has to come down with that right leg. Now, the amount of force he comes down with at that point, you're telling me that you are then a physicist. And telling me that he ex knew exactly how hard or how much he could hold off or whatever, or that he was just responding to something that was absolutely a, a take foul. And probably on top of that, a technical foul. It might have been two free throws in the ball. Um, and then, see, this is where it drives me crazy because Draymond is so difficult to, to officiate or to legislate because he does have that track record of things. But this doesn't fall into that category to me. You can't use his history of overreacting to other things or reacting to other things and initiating. And then, like you said, not only kick him out of that game, which I thought was a surprise, but then to then double down and suspend him again because of his history. When his history isn't this, when his history isn't, hey, how do I fall down on this guy? It's always, you know, I'm going to take one of those or maybe a kick and those are a little bit more obvious but this one i thought yeah. you're doubling down on the penalty and then if you want to go bigger picture with the league it's wildly surprising because again they penalized him the warriors lost this is probably the most interesting series of all of them and you've just ensured that if the warriors i'm sorry if the kings are going to make it a short series you've just made it easier for them so you took money out of your owner's pockets and the league's pockets by not getting yourself a game six or game seven, which you probably would have gotten had this been a one-one situation or had Draymond been able to play in game three and then you have to give them the best chance because they're at home and they've dominated at home. So for all those reasons, yeah. I'm like, man, that was a bit of a shocker. And then to just double down on, on Draymond's history and, and his track record, which again, I understand that, but you're also talking about, you know, the greatest current, whatever you want to call it, dynasty or, or, Team run in your league and he's been such a huge part of that uh and you've allowed all of these things to happen a lot of the time because of the way he gets to be officiated and so to me i just thought it was overreaction and it could ruin what has been the best series so far in the first round not only could it ruin what has been the best series 
by far, besides the Clippers and Suns. Which is my next argument is why are the games overlapping time wise? Like that makes no sense yeah, from a scheduling standpoint. Like that's absurd. But this could be the end of their dynasty. Um in the sense of lots of things. Draymond has a player option next year, right? Bob Myers' contract has not been picked up yet, right? So a first-round exit, not saying they're going to lose, a first-round exit could change a lot of things. The perception of that team, the perception of Draymond, obviously, because of the suspension sure. and what and what comes with that, if they were to go down 0-3 and, and subsequently lose the series, this changes a lot of different things. And I think you can argue right from wrong. Sabonis was wrong first. Let's just say that. Sabonis was wrong for grabbing his leg. Draymond was wrong for kicking him the way that he did. Even if his foot had to come down, he definitely kicked him. Like, I get it. I'm I'm not sure what I would have done in that situation, but I think the fact of the matter is that since his history suggests that he's been more aggressive than he should be at times in the court, they punished him for that. And I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't. I think the players should decide the fate of games, especially at this stage. And since the Kings end up winning game two with him getting kicked out, I felt like a, a fine or whatever the case may be was was sufficient in this case especially when it was instigated by the other player like like obviously yeah. and clearly instigated by the other player a fine would have been i would have been okay with a fine like watching from from where i sit but to suspend him in a pivotal game where the team is down 0-2 after you ejected him and like you just, said like it takes the the, the story further for the warriors right because let's say they go ahead and lose well you've just given them the out. clearest out for Draymond. Like, oh, okay, you cost us a series. We didn't say anything when you cost us maybe a championship uh, when you were suspended for a game five then. But this is right. the first round. That was embarrassing. What, uh, if, if, you know, if you're fast-forwarding in the conversation, I don't think it was too embarrassing what Draymond did in front of the crowd. I thought it was kind of Draymond. But they could say that was embarrassing. It clearly didn't help our team. Your voice is no longer working for us. You know, for those reasons, I'm out. <laughs> and I think it just made it so much easier. And I think, honestly, Draymond might have had a little bit of that in mind when he was kind of like going at the the, the Kings crowd. It was one of that two was scenarios. That was yeah, a lie. it was going to be either that's going to work in my favor because my team's going to back me up or it's just going to be uh, yeah. a bad look. And it ended up being more of a bad look. And the direction he was looking at is probably where Adam was sitting and the, the camera zoomed in on him and it just... It was a bad look. And that might have played a factor, although I don't think it should have. Might right. have played a factor in the one game suspension because as someone put it on Twitter, if he goes to help him up and like pretends to have, you know, remorse for it. Remorse for the actions and just kind of walks off the court, then he doesn't escalate the situation in the arena but it's just like getting ejected yeah. or whatever and then taking your time to leave and then they find you on top of the ejection no that's a great point like if you're getting suspension for partially not leaving you know the the whatever the court of play in a timely manner or in a professional manner um okay tell me that but they didn't say that right that's not what joe dubar said, said. and said so history. History right of and actions so, so i'm with you like I, I think if you give me that argument okay that's more of a reason because as a fan like I'm looking at that and be like, wow, that's that's kind of over the top. And I don't you know, I don't need to see that as a fan. And he certainly doesn't need to do that to to lift off his teammates. But um, I definitely think it, it was it's one of those you know, like moments. And so it's either going to be maybe the best comeback when you think that they're down um, in this little run of theirs, little run in this run of theirs for the last eight years, or it's going to be what the final straw that tears them apart. And to be honest, I think it's the former. Like, I think it's yeah. going to be, it's going to work one more time. They're at the very least going to go back to sack 2-2. Two, two. Like, I think this, I think game three, Steph in particular, because I mean, I don't know bunkers. if you, He's yeah, going bunkers at home. For sure. And like, you could see him sort of setting up to that. What can I do if I just have to go like the Allen Iverson route and just go off? And he's been doing it, you know, pockets in the series so far. So I think he's going to absolutely go nuclear in this. One. There's no way they get swept. But I think the worst part about this entire situation is that we're having to discuss Draymond in the suspension and not really able to talk about how the Kings have been whooping their ass. That's true. Whether Draymond gets kicked out of that game or not, I think the Kings win. Because of how they're playing, that home court advantage 
And I talked about this before the playoffs started. I said their offense is unlike anything I've seen. The pace, the speed, right. in the half court. Sabonis playing off the pinch post at the elbow. They're replicating what we've seen all season long in the playoffs. The only difference is that people forget that Mike Brown is a defensive-minded coach and has always been that way. And if you got fooled by the offense in the regular season, you were going to forget the fact that he is a defense-first guy, always has been, and you know he's going to have a game plan. He is changing up his defensive coverages. He's changing up who guards who. He's trapping. He's blitzing. He's denying at times. Davion Mitchell's a pit bull. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that he's stopping Steph or Clay, but at times they're containing him enough to where they can go on those mini runs because their offense is so potent. They go on those mini runs, and the Kings are destroying the Warriors when Steph is off the court. Mm -hmm. It is bad. It is probably going to cost him the series. He's going to have to play 40, 40, you know, I think book played 45 the other night. He might have to play 45 minutes for them to win game that's three. That's Jordan Poole void, right? Like that's if you just look at them and say, hey, where is the scoring supposed to come from if a team is focused so much on Steph or if Steph's on the, off the floor? It's Jordan Poole, is it not? It, some of that goes on him. And he played really well in game one. So game two, he ends up hurting his ankle in game one. People aren't talking about this. He sprained his ankle. He rolled it pretty good in, in some low-cut shoes. Mm-hmm. Clay said he's playing with half a foot. Fans will say, well, you're not hurt. You know, you're out there. You should play. And this gives him more time in between games. I think between games two and three, you get an extra day. So he gets more time for treatment. The swelling will obviously increase when they fly. But when he lands, he can treat it properly, game ready. Probably sleep with the stem cell on. All the things that the casual fan doesn't know, like – Nights where I just sleep with electric stem on, where like I'm in the bed and like I'm I have electric stem on. Like they don't understand the grind of what he's gonna have to put his body through in order to try to get out there and play at a high level in the playoffs. But he has to play better. I'm sure he knows that the team knows it. They need Wiggins to play better. Um, White Dante, as as a lot of people like to call him. Um, he had a really good game one. They're gonna need him to be aggressive, offensive rebound, um, make the extra pass, show his athleticism, knock down shots. With with no Draymond, that means Looney not getting in foul trouble will be very important. Mm-hmm. And I think they end up going small and playing Kaminga. They're going to have to play Kaminga. I think they have to. I think they have to play Kaminga. I think, you know, they have to tell him, listen, they can't beat you down the court. Like, you have to be, like, I understand maybe Draymond doesn't get up and down as fast. And so, you know, even after a made basket, the Kings can can run it down your throat. You can't do that if you're going to play, you know, the younger guys like Kaminga and and allow him uh, to be effective. So I haven't even looked at this yet. I'm going to just try to see if I can see the home road splits for these Warriors players, because I imagine, given the record, that the home road splits are pretty, pretty distinct. And just the first one I pull up right away is Andrew Wiggins. At home, he's a 51% shooter. On the road, he's a 43% shooter. And, uh, you know, that's he didn't play in a ton of games, but that's 19 and 18, respectively. And so there's a big drop off there. I just I just get the feeling those guys are going to come and support, um, not to support, but just, you know, do whatever they can to win that game three in support of Draymond and also just of the belief that they still have it. Like, they can still put it together and beat a team like the Kings, which... I know you. I, I thought the same thing. Like I thought, whether Draymond was in there or not, the Kings probably pull out that game. But despite the fact that there's nothing like really the Warriors are doing to make themselves look like themselves, really outside of Steph, they're right there. So I'm not sure like what is dominant so far about the about the Kings' performance outside of hey, when the Warriors really need a stop, maybe they can't get one because Darren Fox is just too tough or or something like that. But I think they feel like they can not necessarily slow them down, but stay with them and outscore them and win a couple games, you know, 125 to 120. Yeah, I think the interesting part about this Kings team is that they could play a lot of different styles. They can outscore you, and they've shown the capacity to be able to get enough stops to win, you know, a, a closely contested half court game and that's what it comes down to in the fourth quarter who can get out and run the most right because it's hard to score in the half court if you can get out and run run off misses game is free flowing but when you got to play out of that pinch pose and everybody is as they as they say in the playoffs is bump and grind bump and grind everybody's fighting over screens the refs the refs whistle is not as quick they kind of let you play the strongest man 
may he win the battle uh, or the foot race to the rim. That's when the game becomes very difficult. And I think the Warriors will feed off the crowd and take advantage of being at home. But, man, this Kings team, I said it in one of my group texts, my group chats, this Kings team is really good. And they're going to have home court advantage for a little while. Regardless of if game seven is there or not, game six there would be crazy and around down the road. And I don't want to look too far ahead, but those Boston Celtics look, oh, wow. They look like they're going to the finals. They were my pick going into the playoffs to win it uh, ahead of Milwaukee because I just, like I said, I think last time we talked, I just don't trust that Chris Middleton was going to stay healthy throughout the playoffs. And then right off the bat, you get a Giannis injury instead. And Boston just just looks good. They look like they know what they're doing. It, I don't know if Robert Williams can't jump or if he's just saving his legs because he's had so many. But he doesn't look like he can really get up the way I remember him from even just last year. But just having him out there is huge, huge for them. And so if he's available for, you know, half the normal or half his minutes, even uh, half the game, if you will, um, I think I think they're probably going to come out the East and win it. But uh I'm not, yeah, I'm still not sold on the Warriors losing this series, even though I think, uh, what crazy part to me, last thing on this series, uh, Keegan Murray, we love him, right? Great rookie, great shooter. Uh, four points so far in the series, and Sacramento still t- uh, 2-0. And they're still winning. And he's a 42% three-point shooter on the season, high value. It's crazy how that, you know, rookies go from critical to, yeah, we only need you for about 16 minutes here in the playoffs. <laughs> we'll go with the vets for a little while. Well, you got Harrison Barnes dunking on people, you got to extend his minutes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He looked like uh, like 10 years younger than he was. Black Falcon. Um, Let's let's talk about those Boston Celtics real quick. Uh, What's got them looking so good? I think that the odds, not I think, the odds for uh, most major betting sports books have them as the new favorite uh, to win it all. So what have you seen so far uh, from them against the Hawks? I've seen depth. I've seen their stars be better than the other team stars. Um and their coach ain't messing around. He's playing eight guys. He is getting rid of teams early. He's letting Jason Tatum play that whole first quarter. Jalen Brown playing most of that first quarter. They're finding the matchups they like. And I think that trade they made last year. Um, the Derek White trade? The Derek White trade. He is killing. The other night he has 26 points in 33 minutes on 11 of 16 shooting two two of five. Um, from three. And one of the things Capella talked about from Atlanta was the fact that Boston's obviously really good, right? You know, they got Mm -hmm. Tatum, they got Brown, they got smart, they play defense, they find their matchups. But he said, the fact that Al Horford is out around the three-point line the entire game means that everybody is playing one-on-one and they're getting clear driving lanes to the basket. And if Big Fella does help, Al Horford led the NBA in three-point percentage. This season. That has to be the the most undiscussed, just little twist, you know, little <laughs> plot twist or or adjustment from a player that has gone so far in helping a team. Because do you remember what his nickname was in Atlanta? No, but Average Al. His nickname was Average Al because they were like, what does he really do? You know, that I made the one all-star team, whatever. Um he went from, you know, a big guy who is kind of versatile to just today's NBA player shooting down those threes at such a, a, a you know, effective rate and a fast enough release um, and somehow becoming a good perimeter defender. Like you can switch with him all of a sudden. And that was something that like you were probably scared of to do early on. And and that like totally takes away from the idea that oh wow time lord this guy that's supposed to be your rim protector is supposed to be your defensive centerpiece your anchor you don't even need to play him for like two-thirds of the season or half the season because average al is out here unlocking this this offense it's unbelievable to me i if, if it were me if i were an opposing coach i'm gonna go ahead and take my chances because i've seen the entire career of al horford i'm gonna leave him open for a lot of the game i'll see what happens i'll see what happens because if he misses like three in a row he's probably not going to take the next one you're talking about a guy who is shooting 44.6 percent on 5.2 attempts well this is why i'm not a coach but yeah (laughs) i hear you but he's been playing this role all season long and he's clearly adjusted 
and got comfortable playing in the corners, shooting the shortest three-pointer on the court. And his teammates have gotten comfortable with making that pass, and defenses have had, have had to adjust as to what they take away. The Tatum drive, the Derek White drive, the, the Malcolm Brogdon drive, the Jalen Brown drive, or you collapse and you give up the strong side corner three or weak side corner three, depending on how it is. And the cool part is, even if you don't close out to him, let's say you leave him open, defenses always are in rotation. And it's blind rotation, but you best believe that he's going to be green on the scouting report as a three-point shooter. So the next pass is going to be someone rotating to him, and it's either going to JB, Smart, Derek White, or Tatum. I think the best option to defend them is make sure the ball gets to Jalen Brown's hands and try to make him take more than two dribbles and then turn it over. Like that's, that's gotta be the best possible situation. And nobody, by the way, is looking for looking into the situation that not only has Al Horford uh, extended his game, um, but has not aged a day. Like we should really look into this. He's got the face of a 22 year old. 15 years experience is wild. I had no idea he'd been in the league that long. Yeah. Uh, my Dominican brother. Uh, all right, so we got uh, the other series we can't really discuss too much because uh, it's Heat uh, Bucks, which I find intriguing, of course. Uh, but they play tonight, so we can't really don't really know if Giannis is going to play or not. But we know Tyler Hero isn't, and I kind of compare what Tyler experienced this year to what you experienced in that people can entirely take for granted what he's actually giving you, which is, you know, similar to your numbers, 20, I think five rebounds, four and a half assists, something like that for him on about 44% shooting. And he had taken more of a playmaking role this season and more of just like seeing the floor and, and making the smart passes. And now he's gone and it's kind of like, eh, no big deal. He wasn't really around last year deep in the playoffs because he got hurt, yada, yada. And I'm saying to myself, no, man, like, First, he's better than he was last year, more of an important role in the offense. But B, like you're lessening your options if you have no relief points from Tyler Hero. If you don't have, you know, an ability for the defense to load up on him and get Jimmy some some freebies or some cheap, you know, post ups or what have you. And so I just think like they think, oh, OK, well, uh, Jimmy Butler will just do more. But that's that's way easier said than done without Tyler on the floor. Jimmy's already doing a lot. He's a shot generator, shot creator, gets to the paint, uh, gets the team in the bonus early, and allows him to shoot free throws from the free throw line. He does a lot for that team. They're going to need Bam to obviously do more. I think this may unlock Victor Oladipo, though. I think this may get him some minutes. Oh, he's um, locked to the bench, yeah, so he's got to get some minutes. He got to play him now at this point, looking at the roster. They, they think they moved Kyle to the bench. They got some shooters out there that have been playing well and shooting the ball well for them, but um, they're going to miss him. Four to six weeks means he may be back for the finals if they can make it to the finals, which is going to be tough because who are they running to next round if they win? Well, actually, they did themselves a favor by dropping to the eight because it would be the winner of Cleveland, New York. And that's so... when they would get very interesting. <laughs> that could get very interesting, but it's a shame all those teams are going to have to play against Boston Celtics. Yeah. Yep. I uh, couldn't agree more. I think the the issue there with Miami is going to be whether they play Victor Oladipo or whether they play Duncan Robinson in those minutes. And to me, um, <clears throat> you played against them a couple of years ago. Um, that offense that was, you know, lighting up the league with three-point shooting was special because of Duncan Robinson. It was because he was a 45% three-point shooter that would take a shot from anywhere. So all defenses were focused on him. It was kind of like Ray Allen back when he was with the Celtics in the heat. Like, just start the motion with him. Uh, and, and you know, that that's how you get into your offense. And it's never been that since. Like, the drop-off the next year came. Oh, but Max Struess had a big shooting season. Okay, well, this year, Struess had the drop-off. Who's the, the threat? There isn't really one that just makes right. the defenses, you know, have to focus on them. And so... To me, if your options are <clears throat> maybe you're going to get a big scoring game for Victor Oladipo uh, or maybe you're going to get a five turnover game for Victor Oladipo or, or you're going to have Duncan Robinson out there forcing defenses to pay attention to him and he might give you five or six threes because he's like pressure free at this point. He's like, who the hell cares? I haven't played all season. I don't feel any pressure. And so to me, if I had to guess, if I had to pick one, I'm picking Duncan Robinson. I think the the dynamic uh, that he brings to the offense is more than what, you know, cross your fingers, hope Vic has one of those good games type of, you know, hope. 
if you think that they're going to double team Jimmy, I say you play Duncan because of the, mm-hmm. the catch and shoot ability. But if you're going to have to create a shot in the offense and it's going to get bogged down a little bit, and you're going to have to depend on some some dribble penetration or maybe some pick and roll. You go with Vic. So they may play a little bit of both of them and see how the game is flowing to see matchups. Is Milwaukee going to try to play matchup hunt and find Duncan and put him in pick and roll? Like, how is that going to affect the defense? There's a lot of you go back and forth on either one of them, but you got to figure out risk versus reward. And I think for them, I mean, Vic, if Vic is Vic, he's an all-star. He can get to the yeah. rim. He can shoot off the bounce. He can get you in the bonus a little quicker. He can he can attack closeouts. He's just yeah. had too many sort of disjointed stretches with the team this year. Even if he had a good game, it just didn't seem to flow well with the rest of the team. Yeah. Well, you watch them more than me. I would say they're going to be in a really tough spot. But since he's going to be out for a while, they're going to be able to mix and match and play around with it with the rotation. Yeah. So to me. If you can play, uh, if Milwaukee's got jingles out there for more than 20 minutes, you can play Duncan Robinson for more than 20 minutes because at least you have the starting point of where he's going to match up with. And, you know, if you want to match up Hunt and have uh, Drew Holiday go attack Duncan Robinson, go for it. Because I've seen even Drew, when he's got decent shots, have a, a terrible shooting playoff game. So I think uh, I think you take your chances with that one and go with Duncan. But anyway, we'll see that tonight, see what happens there. Uh, what uh, the Suns Clippers series is outside of Kings Warriors, like you mentioned earlier, probably the most entertaining there. The Clippers taking game one and doing it with Russ shooting three of 19. Was that a big shocker to you? It was a big shocker, but I think that shows you how good Kawhi is. Like, no one's talking about this. Kawhi is so good offensively that in game two, they had the double M almost every possession in the second half. Yep. He's also so good defensively that no one tries to really score on him. And when they do, he takes the ball from them or forces a tough shot. Like, he's playing, as the saying goes, at the peak of his powers. This is this is the best version of Kawhi that we're seeing. And that's without PG. And that's with Russ having a not-so-great shooting game, great defensive game, great offense rebounding game, and then having a very good game in which they lose where he goes like 9-15 to 15 for like 28-5-5 five and five and plays admirable defense um, on Kevin Durant. Um, and Devin Booker throughout the night. Although the double teams to Durant opened up and unlocked a different level in yeah. Devin Booker that we haven't seen since the 59 points he scored in the Pelicans um, in the regular season. <laughs> yeah, the um, it, it was fun watching Devin look so free down the stretch of those games. It's just like, oh, wow, I can get this with a re- you know, recovering defense and just pull up from 15. This is so easy. And so that that part was just like, him really, at least for those who hadn't seen it, uh, happened in the few games before that, but him really sort of benefiting from playing next to KD and and getting what that's going to look like. And obviously Chris Paul uh, orchestrating and navigating it all. But the part, it's it was funny to me because going into, or like maybe even throughout much of that game too, it was like, wait a second, like you're supposed to have two superstars versus one, but that one superstar in LA seems to be doing the work of two. And it just makes you wonder if he's that good, like, and if the defenses already have to do that to him and force, you know, a four on three elsewhere where you have pretty good players, like, isn't that enough? Like, because Booker and KD can't both shoot the ball at the same time. Right. Facts. (laughs) So, yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more More than than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is a tough series, man. I think the Clippers are basically trying to win as many games as they can until PG comes back and hope PG can come back before this series ends. They did the job. They got the first one. They got one um, in Phoenix. Eric Gordon didn't shoot particularly well um, throughout. And by particularly well, I mean he had some great looks that he missed. Um, Norman didn't shoot the ball as well as he probably would have liked in the game the other night. So I think there's room for growth on all their parts. Obviously, you're going to need Kawhi to be spectacular. You're going to need Russ to be as efficient as he can be. You're going to need one or two bench guys to to play better than they've played historically throughout this year. And then on the other end, you're just going to have to hope that one of KD and Book don't go off. Because if one of them goes off, the Suns are going to win. That's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the offense that can be generated, and no one's really talking about it, but Torrey Cray hitting like, what, five of seven threes? Right. Was huge. Even though that's the strategy, right? Let him shoot. If he's going to shoot the ball well and get corner three attempts, high quality mm-hmm. corner three attempts, it's going to be hard for the Clippers to win this series. It's a really Hachimura situation, which is not easy to say. Uh, I mean, we could be looking at a situation where it's what Denver, the seven seed Lakers in the next round. Those I'm just listing the teams, the Sacramento Kings who never get to the playoffs. And then the Clippers, meaning it won't be KD and the Phoenix Suns like that would be quite the foursome in the Western Conference. <laughs> not, I don't think a lot of people would have picked that. Uh, actually, yeah. They probably would have picked that to start the season outside of the Kings, right? The Lakers, everybody thought might have been really good. The Denver Nuggets, obviously, and then the Grizz. But you know, nobody knew KD was coming to Phoenix. Yeah, this this has been an interesting season for everybody. I just think about the the fact that the Brooklyn Nets went on like a what fourteen game winning streak, mm-hmm. and then ended wow. up breaking their team up. And then the fact that the Dallas Mavericks were like a four seed, and then they ended up falling out of the play in and then you look at us we were a one seed and then we end up falling out of the play in and just like the the drastic changes that we've seen throughout this season and what that's meant for our league what that's meant for the success of a lot of different teams and how that's impacted teams like the Warriors were like dead dead in the water they were losing so many road games and Steph gets hurt and they're like are they going to make the playoffs and they luck up and get a six seed and right. their reward is the Sacramento Kings light the beam man I'm looking at this uh this slam cover it was nice it was all purple <laughs> and green and yellow there's so much hope in it oh man <laughs> next year next year <laughs> uh real quick you ever suffered a like a lower back injury like Giannis and see um how that's gonna affect him or had a teammate uh go through that um I actually cracked my L3 um Hmm. Yeah. So wait, which it, one is that? That's uh, down near lower, the bottom, right? Yeah, lower left, lower left okay. side. Just yeah, L three transverse process. So it's very painful. Sitting down in the bed hurts. Sitting on the toilet hurts. Moving around, uh, very painful. But that was obviously a back fracture. Mm-hmm. He has a lower back. I'm gonna imagine it's a contusion or something like that. Or yeah, they're calling it that. Calling it a contusion, but it's probably worse. Uh, he's gonna be on meds. He's gonna have trouble sleeping. He's gonna have trouble you know, picking his kids up and things like that. And it's just a matter of pain tolerance and how he can move because he plays such a physical style. He's going to hit the ground again at some point. He's going to get hit in his back. He's going to get hit in his side when he's driving, posting up. So his tolerance has to be strong enough to where getting hit doesn't affect him. Um, And the way he got hurt was uh, one of the Heat players trying to take a charge. Um, And and same thing with Ja. It led uh, my buddy Zach Harper, the athletic, to say that we should get that rule out <laughs> and we should no longer allow charges. Uh, your thoughts on standing your ground? I respect everybody's opinion, but you can't just take away the charge. Like, could you imagine if there's no charge? I mean, the option is just you got to go up and try to block it, right? Or get out the way. Could you imagine? I mean, I'm imagining a lot of dunks. A game with no charge, a game with like people forget and then they just do it anyway. Like, what is it? Automatic block? Is that how it works? Even yeah. when it was clearly a charge when you run somebody over. What yeah. about off the dribble? 
you run somebody over off the dribble, is that like automatic foul? Like not a yeah. charge? Automatic yeah. block? See, this is why we saved it to the end because it's not even worth the conversation. Sorry, Zach. Stand your ground, but sorry, Zach. No, I mean, I think there's a difference between undercutting somebody and like actually getting there and taking a charge. And I think the other part yeah. of it is what makes the game so difficult to play is that every decision is a split second decision moving as fast as you can, generally speaking. So having a pull up, having good core strength, having the wherewithal to know this is a charge team. This guy likes to take charges. I need to pull up. I should float yeah. to the right or to the left. Like that's a part of the game that you play. It's a part of the decision-making process that makes players good, average, great. You got to be able to decipher all of this in an instance. And I think the most athletic players sometimes struggle with the fact that you don't have to go dunk every ball. You don't have yeah. to go make every play at the rim. Shoot the floater. Shoot the pull-up. Stop. Change direction. Like you have Here's a lot the only of other part, options. The only part that I would say even should be considered, and maybe we'll get there, maybe because of these injuries, um, the same way that uh, you have a foul call that somebody lands on your feet, right? Because you don't give them space to land as a shooter. Uh, if you're a shooter, right. you don't have space to land. If you take an egregious attempt at a charge and undercut somebody, like, is that already considered potentially a flagrant foul? Yeah. I mean, like, if, if you, you get under there pretty late. I think it's ref discretion. I don't know what the rule book says in regards to that. But, like, I, I think you pretty much know when a guy slid in to try to hurt you and when a guy slid in to actually try to take a charge and, like, he was there and beat you to the spot. And generally speaking, you can tell it's a bang-bang play, but you can kind of tell, like, did he get his feet there? Was he sliding? Was his heels on the uh, on the arc of the charge circle? Did the guy see him? Was it a bang-bang play? Was it blind? Like, you can kind of generally tell. And historically, like, the rest make the right call or it's challenged depending on the, the time in the game. So you can figure out whether or not it was the right call. That one to me, I think should be kind of like um, the way in baseball, they say that the the balls and strikes should be automatic, should be refs because it should be robots. Cause why not? Like, like we see it on a box right in front of, of the screen on TV. Um, that one to me should be, if, if there's a whistle blown automatic review, like don't even go. The ref has a signal. Was it a charge block? Oh, okay. Call stands, call doesn't stand because it's so bang, bang. It's almost impossible to see with the human eye. It's kind of like offsides in soccer. Like they'll they'll just wait a second. Okay, I'll call it and wait till the play ends and we'll review afterwards, see if it actually was an offside. That Those block charges are just way too tough. I feel like half the time they're just wrong. It's very tough. And I don't envy the rest for having to make a decision that fast, especially if you don't have the right angle. You're running up the court. It's a fast break. Swing, swing. Players are in the way. You can't really tell because a lot, it's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, I've never actually taken a charge successfully in 2K, so it's really hard. Uh, all right, CJ, I think that's all we got this week. Appreciate you, brother. I'm going to go watch some some games and um, gear up for surgery. Oof, not the offseason you were hoping for. Never want to have the rehab in the offseason. Never ideal. Never ideal.